on the shoulders of dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games. Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the gamers who game them. My name is Eran Aviram. And I am Uri Lifshitz. Hello. And today we will be talking about the importance of pacing, which is, I think, a thing that any piece of fiction should be aware of. Things begin, then they happen, and then they end. That's like mm-hmm. the basic. I think it was Aristo or Othello or I don't know what one of the <laughs> early Greeks <laughs> that said it. Um, that this is the basic form of a narrative: a beginning, middle, and end. And the, the same is true, of course, for role-playing games. However, unlike other works of fiction, like movies or, or books or video games. Uh, we we are a bit more loose in our appreciation of time because we are sitting on the table and we are talking. And maybe sometimes things will happen fast. Maybe sometimes they'll happen, they'll take longer. And as the GM, you should always be in control of pacing because the session will end. It will happen. And you should hopefully provide enough dramatic and fun and humorous or whatever sort of content and allow the players to do the same during this precious time that you've gathered together. If you let one combat, for example, scene just spread out for the entire game night, maybe you'll all go home feeling that nothing much actually happened. Okay, you won a combat, but nothing plot-wise actually advanced. On the other hand, if maybe the players beat all of your puzzles and quests or whatever in 35 minutes and you're not sure what to do now, you are left with three hours of void, which might be paralyzing for you as the GM. And it's something that happens and happens often and you need to be prepared to deal with this. Um, We're going to expand on that later on. Now, a lot of what we are talking about is from the perspective of a convention game, a con game, because in a con game, pacing, I would claim, is more important than anything else besides the character sheets. You must have character sheets, and you must be in control of the timing of the game. However, everything we say is also super relevant to campaign play and even sandbox play, which is a type of game where you have nothing prepared. You just, you know, the players just go into the world and the characters just do whatever. Uh, come on, come on, come on. It's not that you don't have anything prepared. You, In some sandbox game, you have the whole world planned, but the whole control of what's happened is in the hands of the players. Yes, that's true. And that means that as, as the GM, you are not supposed to plan out the session or the scenes. Mm-hmm. I would claim you should still be aware of the importance of pacing and how to control scenes, even though you're not initiating them yourself. Uh, And you will all see why. Let us begin. First, there are two types of timings, I would claim. First, timing scenes, and second, timing within scenes. Timing scenes is when you make sure that scene B happens after scene A. And that seems... Obvious, but it's not seen. It's not, especially not in sandbox games. 
Sin C, for example, might be the main course of today, and maybe Sin A took so long that you're reconsidering if you really even should do Sin B in between them. However, Sin B contains some ultra-important plot details, or a very funny NPC, and you don't want to just throw that scene away. Which leads us to the second point, timing within scenes, which is how you make sure that a scene, which of course has a beginning, a middle, and an end, doesn't take so long that it never ends, or ends before it's made its way through the middle. Yep. One last word about this. Timing is a responsibility of everyone around the table. Maybe the GM is most aware of pacing, but as the player, you should be aware of it as well. If you walk around town and buy a lot of stuff and it's a lot of fun, but then you look at the other players and see that like four of them are sleeping because they don't want to go around town and buy stuff and they are looking at their iPhones and playing with their dice. Dude, stop this scene. It's in your hands. You can do it. You just say, okay, well, I'll just email you later, whatever, and anything else I want to buy. And that's it. You've ended the shopping scene. You have the power to do so. I would also claim that there's a difference between timing and pacing <gasps> from character perspective and from player's perspective. Uh, bear in mind that if you see there's only 20 minutes till the end of the session, you should be aware of that. I'm not saying you should definitely close a scene in 20 minutes or um, suggest maybe to finish early. Yes, but you sh These definitely shouldn't attack the king or get definitely. into a discussion with the king 20 minutes before the end of the game. Yes. Yep. And also pacing from the character perspective. If the characters are, you know, they're after a big battle, they're back in, in town, uh, they just want to sleep. And then, well, you know, before I go to sleep, I go and fix my armor and do all kind of weird shit. And then I maybe head to the tavern. And right, after four days in which your character has, has not slept at all because she was under a curse from a nightmare spell which kept harassing her throughout the campaign again and again. Sorry, sorry. Got carried away there. Happened in my last campaign. And the thing is, you need to remember how your character is doing and keep in pace with that as well. To be consistent. Let us now discuss then the basic structure of the session. I say always make sure to have an opening, a complication, a climax, and a denouement inside every plotline you're making. A denouement? <laughs> a denouement, <laughs> a, the point in which everything ties together, the plot is revealed, and everything is explained and made whole. Uh, there will be a link in the show notes for the phrases. Fair warning, I, I have studied a bit of English Lit, and sometimes I use technical terms from that field in order to describe a lot of things in roleplay, because narrative analysis works the same way, whether you're talking about a movie, a book, or a role-playing mm, game. Yes. With minor differences, of course. Now, bear in mind that opening, complication, climax, and denouement are basically different parts of your adventure. The opening has a role. That role is introducing the character, introducing the setting. It's mainly about introduction and showing the, the daily routine of life before the adventure begins. The complication starts with a tilt, and I'm going to expand on that later on. Something has come up. The daily routine of life 
has been broken and now we have to overcome this complication in order to either regain the daily routine of life or create a new routine which is better. There's a climax in which we face the source of this complication and either win it or lose it and a denouement in which we understand what created that complication, how things progress from here onward, etc. These are the basic building blocks of any story. Now, bear in mind that you don't have to actually run the adventure based on this. No, no, of course Usually not. the opening is just a backstory. It's perfectly fine for adventurers to arrive to town after the complication has occurred. You arrive into town and you see a wagon full of gold about to be shipped with the 12 virgin as a sacrifice to the red dragon, which is about to eat them and devour Wait, them. Wait, was that the name of the dragon? Yeah, it's Hilalala. Okay, awesome. He's an elder red. They have a huge ton and it's very, very agile. Okay, apparently. Yes. So basically here we started in Medias Res, in the middle of the action. We started after the dragon has come and, you know, plundered the town and scare everyone into giving him tribute. That was the complication. And the, only after that, the heroes arrive and are expected to solve that. However, in, you can run that same storyline as the heroes are in town and then a dragon appear and scare everyone into submission and then demand a tribute and then the player walks in. Yes. These are two different narrative structure for the same story. Uh, a quick explanation. A story is a series of events which happens in a chronological order. A narrative is the way you tell the story. It doesn't have to start in the beginning. Even if you have those basic building blocks, I would say that one of the easiest suggestions to keep in mind is to alternate between scenes of different pacing. You don't want to have a few scenes in the same pacing for an extended period of time. Unless you're doing that on purpose, remember. If you want to have a really moody and dark brooding game, you might want to have a whole bunch of scenes that they're all very slow, with dark color palette and long description of the shoreline meeting the darkness at the horizon, which is fine. You might also have a flow of scenes, high action-packed scenes with explosion and Michael Bay appearing in every second action, which is also taxing for the player. So the best thing for the regular campaign is to have differentiate different pacing. Now, I recently planned a campaign and my scene planning was very simple. It went like this. I want a slow opening scene for character introductions followed by a quick action scene to make everyone work together and see what every character can do, followed by a slow horror-like scene of exploration, followed by a dramatic scene of revealing the villain, a quick action scene for a life-and-death battle, and then a slow scene for repercussions and closing all the loose ends. Now, if you would note, this whole planning of the adventure 
from a perspective of pacing alone has nothing to do with the mechanic, with the setting, or in even some cases the genre of the game. It is just something that allows me as a GM to make sure that my players are not uh, getting caught in a monotonous flow of events. There's a, a famous quote, I can't remember by whom, who said that uh, in, in an action thriller book, every fourth episode should end with a cliffhanger that leads to a battle. Now, there are many, 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 many ways to analyze any narrative and any story. I mentioned beforehand, you know, we mentioned beforehand Aristotle, the beginning, middle, and end. There's also a great analysis of dramatic art by Freytag, uh, who said you have to start with an exposition, then rising action, climax, falling action, and then the denouement, of course. Uh, these are all fine and good. These are all excellent tools to plan ahead for a storyline that you want to run in your game. Now, of course... This can't be done in all games. In sandbox games, where the choice of what to do is entirely up to the players, such planning is moot. However, as a GM, you can still control a lot of the pacing. If the players decide to go on something which is supposedly action pack, and then after that plan to do another action pack adventure, you can put in something in the middle as a palate cleanser, to create a bit more dramatic tension between them. And we're going to talk about this in a moment. But before that, there is an excellent improv exercise, which I personally love and recommend to all GM and storytellers. It's called A Story in Seven Steps. Now, it's very simple, and it helps us to create logical stories. The seven steps of every story is, number one, there once was a something. Number two, every day it would something. Number three, until one day something happens. Number four, as a result of that. Number five, as a result of that. Number six, as a result of that. And finally, number seven, and ever since then, something. Uh, to give a quick example, there once was a night. Every day it would practice swordmanship in the courtyard. Until one day, a terrible dragon named la 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 came <laughs> and burned down half the castle. As a result of the dragon burning the castle, the knight went on a quest to defeat him. As a result of going on the quest, he met a party of adventurers and they became good friends. As a result of that, they all stormed the dragon la 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 cave together and destroy him and ever since then the kingdom lives happily ever after with the knight as its king. The main point of this story is to keep going with as a result of that last thing something happened. This is a very good exercise to learn how to add new elements to a story while keeping while the structure. Also yeah, keeping the structure and building on what you already have established. Yes, yes. I, I suggest even, you know, just tell stories to yourself in seven steps and make sure it works. To make sure that the as the result, blah, 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 every, make sure things are connected to what happened before. 
Let us now talk a bit about preparation, because uh, even though Uri just gave us an excellent way to uh, improve a whole story and theoretically an adventure, most people uh, would like to go to the table with something prepared in advance. I've written down the way in which I approach a game and the things that I prepare beforehand in an article, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But considering pacing, there are some things that I think any GM should really think about when approaching the table. Uh, again, this is especially important if you are preparing a convention game, but it's still really useful when you just think about what is going to happen during the session if you're even in the middle of a campaign play. First of all, consider that a scene usually takes between 30 minutes to an hour and a half, and it really depends on its role. As Uri just said, there are several types of scenes. Scenes do different things. Now, if you can, before the game, try to figure out what the roles are going to be. Are we going to start with an action scene? How long is it going to take us? Is it like going to take half of the session? If so, how much room is there for other scenes? How much should I try to fit in? I wanted them to get to the dragon this session. I was hoping they will get to the dragon, but now I realize that fighting the lizardmen will probably take half of the session. And just getting to the dragon might take the other half because I want to do this and I want to do that. So... If I think about these things beforehand, I am, just by imagining this in my mind, seven times more prepared. It's very scientific, I've measured. Seven times yeah, seven more prepared. Times. It's always seven, seven or three. It's always seven or three. Better prepared to the game. Also, figure out for each scene at least the following things. Where and when it happens. That's important because it will allow you to connect it to other scenes. Like, for example, if you wanted to have a scene in the port and then another scene in the castle, but the scene in the castle is supposed to be at night, then maybe you want the port to be at night? Well, you haven't thought about it until now, but now you will realize what are they going to do throughout the entire day? They Actually, if you don't figure out something for them to do, they will create another scene, maybe even several of them, because the players will just use the time to do something, probably, uh, which, which is awesome and good for them. But for your planning, it's a disaster if you want them to actually get to the castle at night. Figure out also what's interesting in each of your scenes, because that can be used for complications. As we will discuss in a moment, a lot of the time the problem is not that you have too much things, it's that the players rush through your things too quickly and you run out of material. This is, again, super important in convention games. But with complications, you can always create sub-scenes. So you should have some complications in every scene. And complications can just arise from things that are interesting, like in the castle at night. Maybe there are dogs, guard dogs. Why? It doesn't woof, woof. matter. It's just something that you can use later, because now that there are guard dogs, Maybe later on you can have them chase the party through the sewers. I don't know. I just invented it, but or it's a you chase. can have kennels for them, or you can have the guy who takes care of the dogs. And all of these things can become transitional scenes that will inflate the game by five, ten minutes. And I'm saying inflate like it's a bad thing, but it, it really isn't. Um, 
creating an interesting transitional scene by talking to the guard at the kennels is far better and a lot more satisfying than just saying, well, you enter the castle and then there's a fight and then we finish the game two hours too early. Having a complete gaming experience is super important. So inflating is not a bad word. I'm, I don't know. I'm just saying inflating and it sounds bad in my head. <laughs> like, mm, uh, I need another word. Extending, maybe? Extending is awesome. Yes, you extend the game. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Uri. The final thing you should know about each scene beforehand is how it ends and how it connects to the next scene. Now, you should probably have this by now just by what you've figured out until now, the where and when and the interesting things. Because as we said before, if you finish at the port and then they have to be at the castle at night, you've already found a problem with the ending of the last scene and the start of the next scene. However, it can also be that you find a completely different problem at this stage. Like, for example, okay, the next scene begins with them knowing that the king is evil. So they must know that the king is evil. However, the last scene was all about them killing all of the guards. Uh, no, and no. Not giving any of the guard a chance to say no, but the exactly. king is evil. So uh, how will they know that the king is evil? And now you find a problem with the transition between the scenes. It is very easily <laughs> um, solved, of course. Just have one of the guards shout, the king is evil. No, <laughs> no. I, I just had an image in my head of, you know, the party going to uh, to a pub and just sitting there and overhearing two paladins talk and one of them said, you know, this is interesting. I just happened to be in the throne room and my and... detect evil went on. <laughs> <laughs> this is, of course, easily solvable, not by having detect evil paladin, but there are a lot of other ways to do so. We will not get into that right now because... That's not the point. The point is realizing that there's a problem, that your scenes do not connect, that something that is important for the beginning of X is not received by the end of Y. Another thing you should probably have with all of your scenes is some loose threads. They are super useful because you can retroactively justify anything that's happening by picking a loose thread. Oh, they're at the castle at night and they very easily um, enter the castle and there's nothing stopping them but then bum, bum, bum. they see some of the roses that they saw at the port now you've just placed some roses at the port because you wanted a loose thread you've mentioned there are a lot of roses here like that woman is walking with a rose and that person is walking with a rose and there's a ship filled with roses i don't know and now that they're at the castle, again, they see all the roses. What does it mean? Well, bum, bum, bum. maybe there's a fake creature that is trying to get to the king or whatever, and now they can have a conversation with it. Maybe it's a symbol of the Thieves' Guild, and now they can have a conversation with the head of the Thieves' Guild that comes out of the shadows and say, hey, don't you go and do and that and that. And it doesn't even matter what he says. You're just extending the scene. You are creating a new story thread for some other time. It has nothing to do with what's happening in the castle. But you used something that happened before that had no meaning until this moment in which you gave it meaning, which was super useful for you in order to create something new in the world. Yep, laying the groundwork pays off. Finally, you should really use a clock. And you should look at it periodically. 
Now, because looking at your phone might seem rude, either tell everyone at the table beforehand why you are doing it, I always do so in convention games, or have an actual clock, but always look at the time. Even in campaign games, it, it doesn't matter at all what sort of game you are playing. You want to make sure that you are not going to have to stop the game in the middle of a scene. You want to make sure that if they really must get to the dragon's lair by this session because something ultra amazing is going to happen to them and that's the main point of the whole thing, then if you've noticed that 45 minutes pass while talking with the merchant, it's totally the time to stop talking to the goddamn merchants and head to the dragon's lair. Oh my god, look at the time. I have to close the shop. Apparently the, the dragon's <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> have a nice night. It is an excellent transition then to extending or shortening scenes. How to do it. Some tools and tips and stuff, Uri. Yep, because sometimes scenes need to be modified. This can be due to many, many, many reasons. Sometimes maybe it's just late in the session and you need to wrap up in 20 minutes and you don't want to get started. So maybe you think, ah, I can take the previous scene and just extend it a little to get another 20 minutes. It can be very, very simple. It could be, okay, you're in the room before the throne room. Ah, 20 minutes, what should I do? Ah, ah the door is locked. The door is also wired and have a huge trap on it, which will take your rogue about uh, 15 minutes of description to <laughs> go through. Oh, and there are guards patrolling around. Yep. Uh, oh, oh, and there's the dog that rushes to your side and starts barking. Now, this doesn't have to be a mechanical battle thing. You can simply state you hear the echoes of a guard moving along. How do you make yourself scarce? Now, whatever the player's gonna do, you're gonna say, fine, the guard didn't notice you because you don't want a whole battle that's gonna last two hours now. You want them to go to the throne room, but in 20 minutes. So give them 20 minutes to come up with some idea how to hide themselves, and then roll behind the screen and said, ah, it worked, amazingly. Now, maybe a scene is dragging for too long and you want to cut it short. Maybe the scene is too short and you want to cut it long. That doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> extend it, extend it, we've just said. Extend yes. it, right. <laughs> maybe this scene was meant to create tension and you want it to go a, bit, a little bit longer, a little bit yes. shorter. Now, I know this whole point of extending and shortening scene uh, behind the screen, so to speak, is a matter of some contention. I know some DM who will run the game as it is, no matter what, uh, which is fine. It's a perfectly good approach. And some GM I know uh, take a whole ad pre-made adventure as, a, as more of a guidelines and change everything at will. Now, of course, there isn't a right or wrong way here. These are both, both perfectly fine, and these two styles of GMing create very different games, and I love both kinds. Um, but remember that everything we've mentioned here are tools which can help you regardless of what you're doing. Even in a game in which you run the game as is, you should sometimes extend or shorten scenes for, like we said, the sake of drama or the sake of outside convention, like the time in which you finish, etc. Now, the most important tip I can say about extending or shortening scenes, if you change any scenes which you have planned beforehand or that come from a pre-made adventure, 
make the change organic make it an integral part of the scene of everything that came beforehand always build on what you've already established just throwing another monster into battle isn't something you should do lightly always tie whatever happens into the game to what happens before remember our exercise from before as a result of so if you're in a castle and you're sneaking around have a guard patrolling have a, a magical drone flying by on guard duty have a weird ward on the door which the player can tinker with for a while specific type of scene that usually requires some extending or shortening is combat because combats take a lot of time in many systems uh, and sometimes it's just a bit too much and sometimes it's too quickly like for example in savage world it's totally possible that the players completely destroy the main evil guy with a single roll of the die. Uh, it can happen. It's not very likely, especially if the big evil guy is built well, but it's not an attrition system, unlike D&D. It's okay, it can happen in D&D as well. In third edition, I had a, a player monk, fourth or fifth level, who took out a Rakshasa in a single round. I was shocked. It was... It, ruin my whole adventure now that faithful roll of the die is not necessarily a game breaker i think i've i've heard a gm complaining about how one die roll destroys the 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 fight that they've imagined in their hand because lucky 20 or whatever uh i don't think this is the right approach no, it, it's always it's an opportunity yes Everything exactly like this is an opportunity e to build on exactly and also from the moment we've let the dice enter the game we have all agreed that they are part of the game and the players are expecting that and if they rolled very well give them their victory they deserve it completely fair however the scene doesn't have to end the combat doesn't have to end for example, if they've just killed the orc chief, then the chief's wife, who is a necromancer and a shaman, suddenly appears, resurrects him and joins him by fighting the characters and using her evil undead powers, whatever. And now the fight is more exciting for everyone involved, thanks to having the chief die a few moments ago. If the fight takes too long, have, of course, all of them run away. Have the goblins surrender, have whatever. That's like the easy solution. But maybe you want the fight to end with an interesting twist. The bodyguard, which up until this moment just destroyed your characters, but it takes them ages to finish it, and they will. They will eventually tear him down to zero, but it's going to take like... 20 more minutes and you want the scene to end now the bodyguard and dies suddenly from the wound the amazing wound that one of your players described a few turns before you, you just keep it here you keep the wound in your mind and then as another player hits you say ah and he dies and he's dead and uh, beyond behind the scenes you've like just deleted 360 hit points that, <laughs> that they still had to go through also, it can be that something changes about the environment which makes the combat shorter or longer. Uh, like, for example, the elf 
suddenly shakes and you are separated from your main enemies or from the archers or from whatever. Or there's a huge fog rolling on and the flying dragon can no longer attack you from the skies and have to retreat. Uh, which, which is awesome. It's a combat scene that ends with a stalemate and can then continue later on. Maybe they'll fight the dragon some other time and good for them, but the scene must end, so it won't be now. Maybe the ships drift apart if you are playing with two ships, although if they do drift apart, then the pirates that tried to hook them together did a terrible job and someone is going to pay for it. I'm just saying. Finally, I would highly recommend an article in E-Insider, which is insider <laughs> it's the patron <laughs> for en world's uh, dnt5 material it's pretty good i'm a follower and a, a patron of them and this specific one i'll give a link in the show notes is for evolving boss battles where the combat begins and then the boss evolves in some way becomes harder or maybe just stranger than before in order to keep the combat interesting. Now, this is also useful for us, not just for, to keep combat interesting, although see our first episodes about having the better battle. The better battle. Um, you also it's can so use fun this. To say. It's so It's totally fun to say. It's also useful for us because it gives us a way to make short combats interesting enough despite them being short. Like, for example, if you have, like, only 30 minutes for the final combat against the dragon, but you want them to feel like the dragon was a huge big deal, and you really need, for whatever reason, to have this fight here and now, maybe it's a convention game, there, there won't be another session, then consider using an evolving boss. The main thing that the article brings back from D&D 4th is the bloodied condition which means that when the villain gets to half hit points, something changes about the environment, usually about the villain itself, of course, but it can be about anything, like the lava starts erupting from the holes in the ground or whatever. This is really interesting, and I would recommend reading if you are patrons. If not, consider maybe becoming a patron, and um, I, I'm not getting anything out of it. It's just, it's just a lovely Patreon feed, really. This you of are getting something out of it. You're getting more support for people who create content, content for role-playing games. That's completely which is something true. We all support. That's completely true. Let's continue with discussing transitional scenes. These are the sort of scenes that you may want to insert between scenes, even though you haven't planned for it before, because maybe you've realized when you prepped for the game that there's no way for them to get from the city to the dungeon without something happening in between. You have to have something happening in between in order to keep things interesting. And so you have to insert a transitional scene. Or maybe you just planned half the dungeon and now the player wants to move forward and you don't have that mapped out yet. Ex oh, completely true. Completely true. Yep. Always consider you can add the following things. First, character development. For example, an NPC in our player character reveals something new about themselves or about you, and now you can all talk about it for like 15 minutes. Now, I, I know a lot of time, if you're on the spot, it's very hard to add something like that automatically, but it's really easy if you take a few tools. For example, take a character and think, what did that character did? before he joined this, this party, before he did whatever he is doing right now. Just add this one thing and have him say it out and then just 
whenever the player suggests something, you can agree with that. For example, the, the fellow who takes care of the horses, the, the little uh, cohort that the characters have, can say, well, you know, before I went out with you, I was a pastry chef <laughs> at the local restaurant. And then, wow, that must have made you a lot of money. And then you know, just go on with whatever the player is suggesting. Yeah, I actually got a lot of money, but it was a boring job. So I decided to go adventuring, to learn from adventures. And it's a lot of time it will, you know, uh, fuel itself simply by agreeing to what the players are suggesting. The other thing you can always add is world building. Like, for example, maybe you're walking down the street in Chinatown and you have to get to junction of place thing and place Y or whatever. And Ching Yo and Ming Lang. That's super racist. And in that corner, the next scene begins. However, this is way too fast and you need the players to have something to do. And like, like 20 more minutes before they get to that corner... And so maybe you can do some world building throughout it. Um, you, tell me about some of the things you see along the way in Chinatown. Uh, you, a cop approaches you guys and asks you what you are doing out in the street with these um, knives and guns that you're caring about you. <laughs> and now you have some discussion with him. And also, again, maybe an opportunity to expand upon the world, like specifically this cop and what he's doing here and how our the cop routines in Chinatown and have some more details, something new that, again, uh, the players can edit, you can edit, it doesn't really matter, that is added to the information we already know about where we are playing in. Finally, you can create a transitional scene with the whole purpose of building atmosphere toward the next scene. Like, for example, if they are going to enter the haunted castle, have an entire scene just at the entrance. Uh, there's this haunted gate that is creaking and the gargoyles looking from the above and there are crocodiles in the moats. They are undead crocodiles. And the wind is howling and have this full description of a very creepy place. And instead of saying, well, guys, you just enter through and into the main corridor, don't say anything. Keep them here. Make them think that everything you've just said is super important and let them roll for it and, and check for it and maybe add some more details when they roll for the gargoyle. Something seems to fall from above. Oh no, it was just the um, edge of your eye. It doesn't really happen. You just felt like, etc., etc. And you create atmosphere before actually entering the actual haunted rooms that you've prepared beforehand. Finally, something that is super awesome, but we've already talked about it before in episode 3, 13 Ages' excellent travel collage transitional scene, which is a sort of a scene in which you, as the GM, go through the players like Uri. You had some sort of a problem on your way from the city to the dungeon. What was the problem? Well, my horse started limping. Okay. I have a limp horse. Uh, and you, different player, Uri, how did you solve this problem? Well, I asked the other guy to help me fix it because I noticed in his character sheet that he used to have metal smithing. So we created a new horseshoe. <laughs> okay, okay, excellent. Uh, that's basically it. But again, we've expanded upon it on episode three. So go and listen to that one and we'll continue on. Indeed. One last thing that I think is very interesting, and again, everyone should know as a GM and maybe as a player as well, is how to control the pace 
through the players and through the information you give them. I've talked a bit about it just a moment ago, and Uri mentioned it as well before, how you can sometimes roll dice or ask for them to roll dice when nothing actually happens or it doesn't actually affect the story. I don't really like this approach. I would much prefer using it a bit differently, like the way I'm going to explain in a moment. First, when a player asks for information, you can ask them to roll for it. That will extend the scene. Because, first, when they roll, it takes a few more moments. They need to look at their character sheet, etc., etc. They maybe figure out who, which among them has the highest history score, whatever. But second, when you give information that is given after a roll, it's far better, far truer information than just telling them the answer that they've asked for the question they've asked you. If I ask you, um, this tabard, what does it mean? The, the unicorn on the sunset. Ah, roll for it. You roll for it. Well, it means that this is from the castle of this and this and this and that. Ah, really? Oh, that's interesting. But it is being carried by a horse. Why does a horse carry this tabard? It's the castle of people that hate horses. And now they have something to talk about. Now they need to sit back and reconsider. If you've just told them, well, it comes from that and that. Okay. Then it came from that. I mean, that's not important information. That's not, in the minds of the players, something to stop and consider. It's uh -huh. just a fact. Because we didn't work for it. We got it for free. Thus, we don't appreciate it. Exactly. Human nature. Exactly. Second, you can also use descriptions of the environment to push or stop progress. If, for example, they are encountering three doors and you say, well, there's door A and there's door B and there's the red door. They will go for the red door because it's the only one you've actually described something about. However, if you describe there's a door which is covered with these sort of like almost scars. And there's another door which is completely red. And there's another door and you can see this blue fog coming from underneath it. Now they have three doors and a lot of things to consider just because of what you've described. They need to, well, there are going to be some roles if we're talking for perceptions and for nature and for whatever, because they want to make sure they are doing the right choice, that they are making the right choice. And that will require some consideration from their part. Finally, and this is an amazing trick, <laughs> it's the way that you say things as a GM. There are two things you can do in order to either hasten or delay the players. It's very simple, you just have to hint at the next logical step. Well, we're finished here, so are you going to back to the princess then, of course? And that implants in their mind the thought that we are actually finished here. There is nothing more to do here. We don't need to go around and rolling investigation checks to go through the drawers or whatever. No, you actually finished everything interesting that there is to do here. The next step is to go back to the princess and not to go down the dungeon and not go back to the previous room and not to torture the goblin. No, you're finished. Go to the princess. <laughs> Yep, and you can, in, in loot-heavy games, <laughs> that's how I call it now, uh, you can simply fast thing forward. Okay, you save the princess, 
Uh, at this point, you do a quick sweep of the dungeon, you find a bunch of other treasure, here they are on this page, and moving on. Are you going back to the princess? Now, this is really important because it doesn't actually railroad them. You don't say, well, back at the princess. No, you're asking them. But by asking them, you also provide the answer you're looking for. And that's a really useful sort of quickening, hastening sort of thing you can do. And the other way around, if you want to make sure that they take a lot of time, don't say anything. Make them ask you a lot of questions about the place, the area, whatever's around. Be descriptive, maybe too descriptive, as we mentioned before, to make them turn to you and want more information. And that's, that's basically it. That's pacing, I think. Yep. That's all we have to say about this uh, right now. If you think we've missed anything, please write us an email, um, drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter, we're Dwarf Podcast, or email-wise, show at dwarfcast.net. That's very good. That's very nice. One final finishing comment, Uri. Yep. We recently did a whole uh, summary of last year. Well, technically just the last (laughs) two months of last year. Um, we're going to have a, a link in the show notes leading to that blog post. But basically, this has been an amazing year. It's been really good, we, yes. A really good, great start for us. We recorded eight episodes in uh, 2017. That was a total of uh, 363 minutes of content. And that has been downloaded or streamed around the world over 1,000 times. Actually, 1,181 times yes. from around 20 different countries. I'm saying around 20 because about three or four of those countries just have one download. So I'm, I'm not really counting them. Uh, but that's a lot. That's like people have spent a cumulative 55,700 minutes of human lives listening to this podcast and that is amazing and i want to take this opportunity to thank you thank all of you who have listened and want to contribute more by giving us feedback and comments and ideas for a future episode please do so you're awesome and keep playing and now it's time to take the load off In this part of the show, we talk a bit about what we were doing last week, what we are going to do next week, and it's all have to be related to RPG because that's our lives. Our lives relate to RPG. Uri, what have you been doing? Relate. Revolves around. That's that's true. I've actually listened to a bunch of books. Uh, I hear audiobooks rather than reading because I don't have time to read, and audiobooks is nice because you can do it uh, on the road. I've read a a series by Drew Hayes. It's called Spell, Sword, and Stealth. The first book is titled NPCs. And this is not a big spoiler. This is what you discover, basically, if you read the the back cover or the first episode. It's a story about a group of adventurers who come back from the forest, go to an inn, meet some NPCs, die at the inn, and then the story continues with the NPCs that were in that specific pub and how that event changed their lives, etc. And there's three books in the series. I'm already toward the end of chap- of the third book. And this is 
I love these books because you can tell that the writer he knows what he's talking about he's know what role-play games are and what they're like and you get the inside jokes and you get the outside uh, jokes and you really feel connected and besides it's it's an excellent narrative with things happening inside the story world and outside the story world and inside the game world and outside the game world uh, I'm enjoying it greatly and uh, we're gonna put the link in the show notes to whoever interesting to listen to it as well just it's fun to be consuming role playing even if you're not role playing that's true uh, I've started reading Genesis which is the new system from fantasy flight games the generic Woo-hoo! sort of age of the Empires um, style narrative die system uh, I've only started reading it but as with Age of the Empire and Warhammer before it, I have some complaints about the outline of the book itself. I think, I think it, it, uh, it's hard for me to say exact things right now, so, so I'll, I'll refrain from doing so, but I'll, I'll have a more focused critique in, uh, in a few weeks after I finish reading it. Uh, the content for now is excellent, so you know, it's, it's an excellent system, apparently. I haven't read it, but the reviews seem to be very positive. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's doing very well. And I'm getting ready to check out the new Archway branch of the RP Haven Club. RP Haven is a very big London-based role-playing club. Uh, I'm saying very big because they are opening their third branch in Archway, which is not very far away from me. Uh, It's next Tuesday, I think. I'm going to check it out and have some fun. And maybe the week after that, I will start running a campaign there. They are doing this... Slots Ooh. of like eight weeks or 12 weeks, I'm not sure, of um, a cycle, I think it's called, where a lot of people just come and run games and stuff like that. And you have to finish the game within these 12 months, months, weeks, because there's another cycle that begins afterward, etc., etc. And, and it's a great way to have mini campaigns. Uh, let's see. Let's see how it goes. I'll uh, obviously talk about it next time. Well, excellent. Everyone, if you like what you've heard here, just head on to dwarfcast.net and you can hear some more. Thank you, Uri, for doing all of this while being uh, a bit sick, I think, still. Yes, I am recovering from a slight case of the flu, but a few more fortitude saves and I'll be on the mend. Excellent. (laughs) And now it is the time to say the goodbyes. Later on. Later on. On the Shoulder of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4. The intro and outro are taken from Silly Fun by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3. Find us at dwarfcast.net and follow us on Twitter or Facebook. You don't have a cup of tea next to you, Aran? Nope. You're not a proper Englishman. Probably never will be if you won't have a cup of tea next to you. Super racist.